historical football stadium, hard-fought win, hanging on at the end, redemption for a famous old team after disappointment in the previous final. Two legends of the club go to collect the trophy, one of them wasn't played in the game. What a sporting moment. Yes, that's right, Aston Villa are back in the Premier League <laughs> after a desperate, a, a, a unbelievable win in the playoff final against Derby County earlier today. What a comeback for yourself there, Mick, to, to come back in with such a strong intro. I know. Welcome back. Thanks very much, Morris. Uh, yeah, Mick McCarthy here with Morris Brosnan, as always. World and Union, actually a rugby podcast where we talk about uh, Irish rugby, both here and abroad. But uh, yeah, no, I am actually kind of excited as an Aston Villa fan after we just sealed promotion to the Premier League. But it didn't make me any less excited on Saturday to watch Leinster lift the, the retain the Pro 14 and make up a little bit for the, the Champions Cup um, loss. You were there pretty good time to pretty not amazing place to be at a game of rugby i would imagine celtic park yeah savage um i'd been there once before for a celtic game celtic against ajax in a europa league game a couple of years ago and that was as a fan obviously this is my first time there covering a game and even just the you know the sense around the stadium like there is a real kind of aura whether that be the like you know massive signs of paradise or the like statues and stuff like that like it was they've got a huge massive pathway right outside the stadium like it's this big long walkway mm. and that's where the buses drive down for the game so i don't know if you i think there was a premier sports captured this i don't know if the other ones have broadcast it but uh as you're driving down it's just a line of fans on either side like a forming kind of a guard of honor for the buses as they come down and when there's more glasgow fans it can become kind of daunting for for leinster and that mm. was the that was my opening cameo i was waiting outside to see the, the buses arrive that's what i saw first and you kind of get a sense that like this is you know if you're anyway a stadium kind of nerd this is what it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be a bit of a kind of a sense about the place like an aura you know yeah. and you can, yeah. that's, it's almost palpable that you feel that when you get into the ground i mean the stadium wasn't full um, it was still a record crowd for a Pro 14 final, but it wasn't full. And even th- at that, the w- like this feeling around the ground was still brilliant. Uh, obviously, the Glasgow fans were making the bulk of the noise, but what they brought himself, he, like you, in a way, I you know you look at it and you'd be they're kind of touchy enough, like the way they were booing Sexton, or even there's there's a bit of stuff going on beside me actually beside the press box in the in the ground, just kind of stupid petty arguments and stuff like that that would kind of. But yeah. the, there was a kind of a feeling about like it, it, this mattered. Do you know what I mean? And that was for me that was the most important thing. I know that stuff is like it's needless and it's kind of pointless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you'd rather it was there than it being a kind of a vapid a non-contest. Exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. The fact that the like a uh, kind of a a soft enough competition that we're still not really sure about what exactly it is the fact that it, it actually mattered and it mattered for somebody that wasn't an Irish province particularly like a, yeah. a, somebody beyond that that seemed to really care and wanted that I thought was great and that that was kind of a, a huge type grade for me that you know this tournament is making waves people you know Wales might not necessarily be getting on board as much as we like but particularly in Glasgow there was a real sense there they got a huge crowd behind them and, and it, it kind of it meant something yeah and taking it out of its usual kind of home is not, not a bad idea either I would say we'll talk a little bit about the game itself and about Leinster and we'll look at, you will hear from a lot of the people involved Morris was talking to people after the game he was as I said over in Glasgow for it so we'll hear from James Lowe from um, Johnny Sexton we'll hear from Stuart Lancaster so uh, lots to come on the show before we get to the specifics of the game though so I wasn't here last week. You guys spoke to uh, Jamie Hagen. Really, really good show, but lots of reaction to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like obviously. I mean, you know, for our, my own like our own shameless egos, it's nice to get some sort of reaction. But what was most encouraging was the reaction from former players themselves. I think the it really struck a chord what he spoke about. Um, if anybody hasn't listened to that interview, you showed it's absolutely brilliant. Really honest account of the effect kind of life's turmoil is going to have on your professional rugby career and how you can fall out of love with the game and also 
contextualizing the game um and just i thought one of the biggest takeaways for me from it was people like uh, andrew brown or you know even a couple of other the old Leinster boys waning and talking about the importance of what jamie's speaking about like it's great to see former players that's like that's the template you want to follow so uh, Got a yeah conversation uh, going exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, which was probably the most important thing and i mean that's what that's what awareness is generally you know one player can start something in motion that gets more people talking about it um i think like jamie deserves to be commended for that definitely yeah fair play to him it was brilliant stuff and again if you haven't heard it do listen we'll talk about the game in a second just a reminder as well though that like you know the rugby season is coming to an end but you know we will be here uh kind of like sporadically probably a little bit more than sporadically you know <laughs> all, you know not quite weekly as the off season goes we'll kind of look at the southern hemisphere and what's happening there we'll start building up to the world cup we've obviously got the under 20s world cup kind of knocking around as well so there's lots to still talk about but if you're in the mood for a more uh, regular podcast don't forget that we have uh, lots going on in balls.ie we've just put up the three man weave or gea podcast um earlier on uh, on monday so you can listen to that that's a really good show again we'll have two of them a week going forward um for the rest of the summer so still lots to keep you busy just search balls.ie on your apple podcast or wherever you might get your podcast you can search gea if you want to go specifically for that rugby if you just want to if you just want me and morris uh every now and then kind of talking about <laughs> the the ups and downs of the rugby championship but um you can get it all there please give us a review please uh rate the podcast it really does help on to glasgow leinster um kind of hanging on at the end but i have to say like i found it one of the most fascinating games of rugby i've seen in a long time it was really really i don't know if top quality is the right word but it just seemed like so intense it seemed like such a big game and like there was kind of all the qualities you want in a big game there was a few jitters there was a bit of a comeback there was a bit of feistiness but but really just intense hard rugby like really played at a top pace yeah it's i mean like and it's it goes back to this is the essence of sport like you know people are constantly can hammer something like as a league of Ireland fan i hear it the whole time about you know it's not the best quality and like who gives a shit when it's such good entertainment you know what i mean and that was what that was what the weekend game was like the, the conditions uh, I don't know if that came across really on television. I watched it back and I didn't think it did come come across as bad as it actually was. Like it rained relentlessly from the morning. I want it was really heavy as well. Um, yeah, I don't like the which might explain maybe both teams didn't go as wide as they occasionally have run in the past or run yeah. these like sweeping strike plays that we would have seen previously. They both tried to play rugby. Um, I thought like one of the most impressive teams about you know a mark of a, of a great team like Leinster is the fact that they can actually mix it up like that that they can you know at the end I think they were kind of hanging on it was a bit of ugly rugby but sometimes that's what you need to do to win a game and they kind of did that expertly um, I, even within that there were still elements that I thought were really impressive uh, Keen Healy's try I, I hope that kind of like the, we'll do a piece on this during the week on site but that was actually a phenomenal team try like the mm. in terms of I think it's 18 phases that led up to that uh, every single player bar one touched the ball as they moved on, on to wow. the play you could see who was the, the one the, I, I'm I'm nearly certain it was Sean Cronin who, right. which, and I'm not actually sure Unusually. yeah exactly yeah. which wouldn't generally happen uh, it's either Sean Cronin or Royce Ruddock I, I, I watched it back I, we'll do, I'll do something on this yeah, eventually yeah. Uh, during the sorry week sorry to put you on the spot um, interesting stat there was even like uh, I was watching it from my side and Guy Ringrose how vocal he so Guy Ringrose was on our touchline towards the press box and it's only when you see him kind of up that close how vocal he is like he's a real um, like standard cliche he's a real leader on the field in terms of how vocal he is on both sides of the ball to the extent where he'd demand the ball and get the ball out wide, bounce back inside, and then as off the next uh, phase, he's calling for the 
who, like I think at the first place is Furlong taking a hard carry on the inside line and he caused for Furlong to make that run like he, he in a way kind of doing you know when we talk about a second playmaker a second mm. playmaker isn't somebody who just stands in as a first receiver and stands, gives sex and a break it's somebody who like, organises your attack who gives you shape and that's what Ringrose brings that's what that's what Lens, I mean Munster probably need is somebody like that who can who can operate that way Um, you know the way Saracens use good on the other side of a rook as kind of like a, a dual attack option Ringrose is slowly becoming that for, for Leinster as well Even, there's this ob- weird obsession about when you guy like Gary Ringrose and, and miss tackles mm. um, and we I think have learned a lot about that stat yeah the, it's, uh, it's almost an obsolete stat isn't it yeah. and it's, it's one of those things that mattered a lot in previous games but teams have, you hear about more more in advanced metrics in other sports in American sports but rugby needs to almost move into that one hundred uh, land I, as I well totally because it, yeah. a missed tackle we talked about it a few weeks ago. I think we were talking about Larmer, wasn't it? Exactly. It's yeah. like a missed tackle isn't a missed tackle if he's shooting up the line on purpose to take out the option a of way a pass. Wide off. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Ian Costello spoke to us about that as well. The fact that they the thing two things they talk about now are kind of the dominant tackles and collisions and missed tackles doesn't really matter. It's it. He was speaking about it in the context of somebody like Owen Farrell actually. Yeah. Um, from that that aspect, I thought you know as a whole, Lens were really really impressive with that. It's funny, I actually read a book recently about Scottish rugby by uh, Peter Burns, the Scottish rugby journalist, and he talked about the idea, you know, when Scottish rugby initially started, they were always trying to catch up with Irish rugby because they were their near cousins, but they were a lot more hesitant about embracing professionalism as opposed to, to Ireland. I think that's been a theme for a long time, like Scotland trying to catch up, even in terms of, you know, there was talk about maybe they need an extra club, and then they instead they became four districts all playing into mm. Glasgow. Um, and if, you know it's such a nice climax to see that that gap is so close right now between like the two best teams from each country and these two countries who are going to face each other for the, like the last competitive game of this season is also going to be the bulk of those players will play in the opening competitive game of next season which yeah. is Scotland Ireland in a World Cup I think it's a nice like narrative arc and that game is set up to be an absolute cracker like uh, if there was any you know hint of complacency going into that game I think it's gone now when you look at what Scotland did against England and what Glasgow did against Leinster and how close they came did you get the sense from the Glasgow crowd that was there that like I, I know there, mo- there had to be just by numbers a lot of day trippers that you know mightn't have been to many yeah. games and might not even be fully rugby people was there a kind of a this might be a hard one for you to answer answer but was there a a sense in the crowd that there, this was a team that they could love and this might be you know a, a catalyst for kind of going forward and 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 them becoming more of a team of the city than they've been in the past i think it's more palpable from the players reaction towards the fans than is the fans reaction towards the players like it was so clear how much this mattered to somebody like Stuart hogg who yeah. i think was like is obviously bidding farewell to glasgow at the end of the season but it was quite emotional he was taken off injured um you could see that it, that was something that really kind of devastated him throughout the game like the one thing glasgow fan players made sure to do after the game was to approach their crowd and thank for it glasgow f- who left in droves at the final whistle like they were clearly kicking themselves i think at the what was a missed opportunity mm. that, that they would have probably felt um like the Glasgow support as a whole, you would hope so. If there ever is a likable team in terms of style, it's this Glasgow team. Like, it, if, yeah. you, if you can't get behind that, you won't get behind <laughs> no. any rugby team. It's funny, I was thinking that all the way through the game. It was like, you know, what you were saying earlier. It was like, we would rather the fans were a little bit bitey rather than, you know, not interested at all. But still, I thought that they were petty. And there's a bitterness and a kind of a conspiracy theory, like, element to Glasgow rugby fans that we've seen it all season really you know and we've talked about it with certain Welsh clubs as well and it just gets really annoying after a while because not because it, I don't care if they're silent for the kicker yeah but 
it feels like they'd be the type that would be complaining if Leinster did anything during that game. But yeah, they had no respect either. Again, it's not something that bothers me so much, except for the fact that this is a really likable team. Yeah, I really like this Glasgow team. I, I like Townsend. I like a lot of what they got. But I feel like the, 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 some of the bitiness and bullshit almost comes from a crowd of conspiracy theorists. Yeah. Is that I, I might be being unfair here. It just feels to me that it's been a theme all season long. Yeah, may, like maybe. I, I, I actually, like Dave Rennie came in and spoke, obviously, in the post-match draft conference and was, I thought, quite unanimous about the fact that they were beaten by a better team, that they didn't perform particularly well given their current level uh, was really kind of um, I thought like reserved about the Rob Carney instant which to me looked like a red card I mean I don't yeah. know how, how he got with they've that they've been and fine like, yeah, you know so, yeah, the so players it's, it's and the coaches yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's definitely not a chip in the cold from within um, in terms of externally yeah for sure it's probably there um, but I wouldn't like I'm just loath to pay much heed to it to be honest yeah I know you're probably right. I'm just I'm I'm just that guy, Morris. And also, I forgot that uh, Gregor Townsend is is the Scotland Scott, coach. I just saw him yeah. at the game, and it's like I'm used to him being the Glasgow coach, and it's basically the same team at this stage, anyway. So, um, yeah, of course. Uh, moving on, do you think Leinster would have won that game if it had played out in different ways? Like, were they were they better? Because I, I I'll tell you what I mean. I felt Glasgow were very unlucky. I felt that I felt that in so many ways they got to try Leinster like. Don't get me wrong, I'm in no way taking the contributions of Larmer, McGrath or Ringrose away for the for the Leinster try that they scored straight after. But they got unbelievably lucky to score. The way the ball spun in a tiny end goal area, etc, etc. Nine times out of ten, that's a 22 dropout, yeah. you know? Maybe even more. Uh, they, I feel like Rob Carney should have been sent off. He's only back on for the last five or six minutes. Not a big deal, but I, think, I feel psychologically even they felt that Leinster got away with one in there and I wonder did it hold them back uh, obviously Leinster missed a few kicks but they even missed that conversion which meant that like a, you know, a drop goal line, or yeah. whatever would have won it rather than, than just brought it to extra time a few things I just felt uh, you know a few refereeing decisions that I uh, maybe it worked both ways but I wasn't too sure about and I just wonder like I felt Glasgow weren't lucky but there was a sense watching it as well and maybe it's just because I've watched this Leinster team play a hundred times that they would have eked it out. They would have found a way to win. They were just experienced enough to do it, regardless of what, what happened in all those individual incidents. Yeah, I mean, like I, the, my very initial reaction after the game, before I watched it back, was Glasgow would be kicking themselves after this. It was like, I thought they had some, spurred some really good opportunity. I think they would have been really disappointed with the, that ring rose. was just as a freak try. Like, this, like I know you can, you can bake key to enthusiasm and his ability to chase down and McGrath, who did really, really well there. But in the end, like the, the as you mentioned there, the ball doesn't really roll that way. It's not like yeah, it's it's just a freak incident, especially in such a tiny ingle area. It basically had a right turn. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right angle turn. Like. Yeah, but in saying that, like one of the things that you would be kind of frustrated about Glasgow is that like they have these really brilliant breakaways, and it's as if like they kind of get like it's almost a bit of a touch of white line fever at a couple of times, right? Like they get a break, and then all of a sudden it starts to go to panic. And even if you know if they had a bit more structure in that period, or they could maybe go on what Lens to do like you don't have to once you make a, a 20-30 yard break you don't have to try and spray the ball wide and catch mm. people directly like you could come in around the corner and try and eke it out the way that Lens did for Kinheedis try for example yeah. like that was slow control build up that yeah. they kind of seemed to lack so I think like you get punished for that level of minor inaccuracy it's something that they like Dave Rennie was totally open about after the game and, and you know openly acknowledged that they were below that level that maybe a bit of panic so um, in like in the grand scheme of things, I think like a great team beat a very good team, and yeah, that 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 happens, you know. And generally, if you're recognizing that and dealing with it, that's how you get better, rather than being in denial and worried about luck and different exactly, things like yeah, that. 100%. Like I'm talking about here, yeah. Like 
you know, I think Leinster, you know, their first 20 minutes of the second half, I think they played really well in that time and, and that's, you know, the most important time in the match and you feel that if they were losing instead of winning by eight points or by five points at that stage, which obviously led to, to, to eight points, they probably would have pushed on a little bit more and said they were containing and playing safe in what were awful conditions, like, as you say. Um, just quickly, Sean O'Brien, uh, you know, it was such a lovely moment, I think, when Sexton gave him the the cup to go and, um, you know, lift it on his own. And we just thought, like, that's the last we'll see of Sean O'Brien involved with a Leinster team. It's pity he's in a suit. But at the time, we thought, you know, we'll still see him in Japan and he's still got another chapter to go in his Ireland career. And then we find out the next day, that he's to have surgery on his hip, he's going to be out for six months, and it's basically his IRFU career, you know, Ireland and Leinster over, he'll be with um, London Irish when he comes back, there's something extremely sad about that, but at least he got to, he, I mean, he got he went out lifting a trophy, it's not the not the end of the world either. Yeah, exactly, we might actually, before we talk about this, we might play, uh, this is Johnny Sexton after the game, speaking about his decision to let Sean O'Brien lift the trophy, so um, we, we just asked him about the idea that when did they actually decide to allow Sean O'Brien lift the trophy now bear in mind before you hear this audio Johnny Sexton is talking before it was confirmed that Sean O'Brien is going to miss the World Cup but as is plainly obvious he already knew yeah we we spoke we, we I suppose we knew early in the week that that Sean was struggling a little bit and um <clears throat> we wanted to make sure that you know he got his last contribution wasn't the series game um you know because his last memory now will be lifting the trophy. There's not too many people that have lifted a trophy uh, by themselves in Leinster. I think maybe Leo and Issa are the only two. Um, the rest of the time we always lifted in twos. And uh, But it's fitting for him and uh, we're going to miss him greatly for me. Like he's he's up there with some of the best players I've ever played with. Um, you know, as a forward, I'd say he's the best. No offence, Leo. Uh, but he, he had some, he had some <laughs> like strings to his bow that, uh, you know, just so other forwards in the world didn't have in his, in his prime and uh, as a leader and a player we just we're going to miss him um, but we'll you know obviously drive things from within and make sure that those younger guys that are coming through will, will live up to his standards um, so yeah I thought that was absolutely lovely um, yeah. re- like, and also the this is one of the best things about these when you cover these kind of games that people are kind of on a high and are more willing to open up about their feelings for you know fellow yeah. players or the moment and this kind of thing and i think that was really obvious with what what johnny sexton said there like the fact that i think he's probably right uh, whatever about him being the best forward that Sexton's ever played with uh, he's the best flanker ireland have had certainly in my lifetime yeah um when he was at his peak he was like unlivable he was unplayable Genu- like, yeah yeah, yeah. Gen- genuinely world class um i think the fact that the players were conscious of the fact that they didn't want to let a guy have his last memory as being the Saracens game and allow him lift the trophy even if he wasn't going to be directly involved because he had this this that's nigger. a really nice touch yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. and uh, it kind of goes to sh- some way to show uh, we're going to hear from James Lowe later but the, he also referenced the the twenty you know the players beyond the twenty three like there's a bigger picture and it was interesting to see uh, in the in the airport after the game not to go like too inside baseball here but in the in the airport after the game. Uh, the way that the Leinster play team as a, as a whole, like whether that be um, nutritionists or strength and conditioning coach, interacted with each other like that, the, there was a real sense of kind of camaraderie, I suppose, which yeah. m- maybe is to be expected. But I still when think you win that, the trophy, yeah, yeah, but it's still kind of is this a nice to see and nice to see players acknowledge it. Yeah, and it's a full squad, like including non-playing as well. Yeah, just on O'Brien though, remember he hadn't played very much rugby leading into the last lines 
Yeah. And ended up, you know, secure nailing down a seven position that before they went to New Zealand, we didn't necessarily think he had. I don't think we thought he really had a chance at all. And by the time the test come around, it was Sean O'Brien there. He was one of the players of the tournament, obviously scored, well, well was on the end of probably the best <laughs> Lions try of all time. I'm not going to give him too much credit for it. But, uh, you know, had a brilliant tour. That was the type of player he was. He was the guy who could come in and he might not have been in the form of his life this season. And obviously he's been kind of over and back with injuries and he hasn't really had a good run of things and he kept getting injured at the wrong time. I sense that he would have had a big World Cup. I really do. And as a farewell, I just feel that he was that kind of player. And I think that he's a huge loss. And if you think that Dan Levy isn't there as well, and we don't need to get into it too much today, but it shouldn't be glossed over that we're actually, not only is it sad personally that Sean O'Brien doesn't get his farewell before he goes and finishes his career in England, we also really needed him for the World Cup. It's it's actually really funny, Mick, because um, I spoke to, as you might remember, I spoke to Richie McCaw for a piece we did on site a couple of months ago. And we, I mean, obviously, it was just before Ireland played New Zealand, and there was a bit of that kind of intertwined, and people asked him about Bruno Driscoll and Ron O'Gara. And he was, I mean, like he, he wasn't, it wasn't disparaging about any of them, but he wasn't like glowing praise either, you know, like he acknowledged that they're very good and having a good impact on what they do. But then somebody asked him about Sean O'Brien and the transformation in McCaw's demeanour was amazing like the amount of respect that McCaw has for Sean O'Brien and the regard he has held in, in New Zealand is incredible and I think that like for me anyway it really summed up what Sean O'Brien is about like the at his best that is the kind of the stature about him and what he like he, he you think about the back rows Ireland had before that people like Wallace and Ferris and he surpassed their exceptionally high standard in terms of what he brought and like even the little evolution, he was a guy who used to carry and sit down players really, really well. And then the game became more physical, defense became more dominated, and he totally changed his game. Like he yeah. started attacking space. He became this like really intelligent rugby player beyond that kind of barnstorming back row that we were so used to. Like the, the, there was a little evolution within him, even still. Uh, I actually agree with you. I think the for Ernst to genuinely have World Cup aspirations in terms of winning a World Cup, they needed uh, Sean O'Brien at full tilt. They, yeah. A guy who was going to bring like. And the impact he brings on both sides of the ball. Josh Van Floy is a fantastic player, but or Jordy Murphy has been had a really promising season. But that's in terms of their defensive contributions. Like the, it's been so well established that Ireland need to match teams physically and get more ball carriers. And the fact that we don't have Dan Levy and don't have Sean Ryan is a huge blow. Absolutely, yeah. It does. It does leave open who who is the seven for the World Cup. It's something we'll talk about again. Uh, finally, on O'Brien, just from a Leinster point of view, um, Kev Byrne has an interesting post up on Balls.e that you should check out um, about how uh, Sean O'Brien came into the team and with the imp- almost impossible and certainly improbable task of replacing a legend, uh, a, a one season legend in Rocky Elsom, and how he managed to do that, and how Leinster never really had to look outside the province at all to find a replacement to someone who was probably even better and, and, and more of a Leinster legend than Rocky even, um, which is an interesting piece. You should check it out. Uh, you were also speaking to uh, another famous Leinster import, James Lowe, after the game. Yeah, um, and like, I mean, whatever, like this, James Lowe is just such an enjoyable rugby player to, to interview, whatever, to watch, um, yeah. as, as you're about to hear. Here he is on Gary Ringrose and also the what we mentioned earlier about the team beyond the team, the players beyond the 23. Yeah, um, I mean, it's 40-odd weeks, you know, of work, so uh, to come away with a medal is always, always very good. And uh, I mean, 57 players, I think, this year, so... The fact that, I mean, only 23 got to represent today, it's not just about us, it's not, it's about the, all the boys who have, who have put in the work, 
uh, throughout the year and to come away with the medals, I mean, we couldn't be any more happier. I related it to like uh, to like Liverpool, you know, like they're such a good team. If they don't win a trophy, you know, it's going to uh, probably, they'll, they'll see it as a bad season, even though they're such a good team. So, um, you know, we learnt a lot from Newcastle. We probably uh, we probably got stuck in fourth gear. Uh, credit to Saris, obviously, for playing so well and putting us under enormous pressure. But uh, we learnt over these last two weeks, and if we didn't perform today, you know, all that was all that was talk. So the fact that we we're able to close out and score points when we did. Uh, I mean, it was awesome. Gary Ringrose probably doesn't do all the fancy stuff, but what he does do, he's got huge impacts on the game and he's got a huge future for such a young man. Um, they just brought a, his school just brought a horse. It's called uh, Something Stupid the Fame. And uh, it won, so he's, uh, he's just upgraded houses. Um, but man, he's, uh, he's, he's an awesome athlete. He's an awesome dude off the pitch. Uh, one of the nicest men you'll ever meet. And uh, I mean, that's that's the that's the nitty gritty that gets us over the line. If you asked me, you know, three years ago, I'd be sitting here talking to you guys, trying to decipher uh, your your accents. But um, I would have I would have called you bluff. But you know, it's uh, it's awesome to come over here and learn. And I mean, I've still got so much to give to the game. I feel so. It's uh, it's an exciting time, and I think where Leinster is at the moment, where there's only there's only room for improvement. Uh, yeah, James Lowe, who is just such a like likeable rugby player yeah. uh, and a guy it's really interesting like when you think about James Lowe James Lowe isn't that far away from qualifying to play for Ireland I mean he's going to be qualified by the time Andy Farrell is in, in situ is he right he's so, still in the three year so, window yeah, he's, is he he's I thought that, he was I yeah. thought he came after that and like it, a minx, uh, huge there's, I, I think there's like there's obviously going to be a bit of a storm about it there's a massive thing coming down the tracks in terms of the amount of players that are going to be very quickly eligible for Ireland players who are like borderline in terms of their inclusion a guy like John Klein, who qualifies the day before the World Cup actually starts. Uh, Jameson Gibson Park, who, like, I think is pretty close in terms of what he can offer. And all you think about this in the context of like an injury or two. Chris Cloute, who you spoke about back rows earlier. If there was an injury crisis like we have right now, and a guy like Chris Gullaby was eligible, he'd probably be in. Like suddenly you've got mm. these players. Roy's Marshall from Munster, who's had some really promising form, is also going to be eligible quite soon. Like these are guys who um, Tyler Brandell, obviously, but his form hasn't been there. But uh, what I mean is that like they're a player or two within an Irish squad and suddenly like, you could have a situation where you have five very quickly soon to be eligible players mm. coming into an Ireland team. I think it's like it's definitely something to bear in mind over the next couple of months that the perplexion of this and the debate about eligibility oh, yeah. is going to become a lot more ferocious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's a lot easier to kind of back off the debate when you're talking about two guys and you know their individual stories and everything else. But, you know, when it becomes half a team, I can't see it being though. I can't see other, other than low. I don't see any of those guys bolting past Ireland's first choice. Yeah, they could definitely be in and around the squad, and obviously injuries can can play their part, and people's form can change and everything like that. But Klein is probably the next in line there. But I still can't see him getting past Henderson, Byrne, uh, James Ryan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and even if De- if Devon continues on for another two years, which is no reason a second row can't at his age. He's only thirty two. You know, there's another sort of, there's four of them there probably ahead of him. Um, interesting stuff from Lowe. Uh, you were talking to Stuart Lancaster too. He's done an amazing job there. If you think about where Leinster were before he came to winning, playing four finals in a row, winning three of them. Um, I know Leo Cullen shouldn't exactly be cast aside in the credit either, but uh, like Lancaster, from the depths of where he was after the, the World Cup and where where we thought like you know what he had done to English rugby to you know 
looking at it in a slightly different light since he's come to Leinster. Yeah, and even like he, he speak briefly about his life here as well. But just uh, one thing, to bear in mind as you're listening to this, he is so so quick to push praise from himself onto the team, like the uh, the unit, which uh, I think is probably a quite admirable characteristic about any coach, like a total lack of ego. They're a very honest group and very hard working, and uh, they were very. Uh, disappointed to lose, we're all disappointed to lose the game, you know, having been in the position we're in, 10 up in particular. Uh, and, you know, very, felt very bad that we'd let down the Leicester supporters who'd come all that way to support us. So, um, but we had a, a really uh, a good meeting on the Monday and, you know, you talk about what, what, what created the momentum to beat Munster and to get this win today. It was that Monday, really, for me, to be able to take uh, the lessons that we learned from that defeat uh, and uh, turn them into a positive by the Tuesday to then defeat Munster, who are you know, obviously big rivals uh, at the RDS, and then to come you know, away from home in Glasgow's home city and, and to win you know, a great testament to the character of the team, and, but also the, their ability to, to learn and, and grow and improve. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the most pleasing things is you know, we did play 57 players, but with that you know, there were, uh, we scored 95 tries. So it wasn't like the 95 tries were scored with just the best team. You know, the team full of our internationals. The 95 trials are scored with the spread of 57 players. And uh, it's not the fact we have to give them game time. They, they earn it. Um, and one of the key things I think is we do really well is we give them opportunities in training to develop so that when they come to playing games, they're ready to go. And uh, I think that's the, uh, that's the secret, really. Well, it's been a brilliant move. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you rewind the clock, you know, uh, it was uh, September 2016 and Leinster had just lost the... Pro 14 final against Connor and won one game in Europe and and I and I was out of work, so uh, um, it was a it was a chance phone call really. Leo ran me out the blue and uh, I came in uh, the week of the Glasgow game. Actually, my first game was was Glasgow away, which we lost. Funnily, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, but I saw enough in in that week to think this has been the right move. Um, I knew that. Um, they were a great group of players. I was impressed with their attitude from from the first minute, uh, and you know, from a family point of view, it worked. I didn't need to move the family. I could commute from Leeds to Dublin relatively easily, and so one year became two years, and now three years. And uh, you know, I've signed for another two. So by the time, uh, no, 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 my, no, my kids are just going to university now, and uh, um, my wife's going to stay in Leeds, and I'll just keep doing the commute. Uh, so it's uh, uh, yeah, signed another two years, and and, and and happy to stay. Stuart Lancaster. Humble man. Yeah, very. Um, like even the the job he's taken on, kind of to be like work with Leo Cullen, but kind of under him. Like the, I think it's a partnership that works really, really well. It's a really unusual partnership, but Dynamic, if yeah. yeah, but if that you ever wanted a template for Munster to pursue now that they're looking for three coaches, I think it's probably there. Like a guy who can assume some of the heat that a young coach is currently taking on. Um, maybe offer a bit of assurance. Like m- there's been a lot of. There's been so many names being linked to what Munster need now, but a guy like that who could become in uh, would have wouldn't have the ego in terms of being aspiring for like a head job and like maybe vying against the established name there anyway, but would also kind of assume that mantle and take off a bit of sack. I think it'd be something that uh, it's very hard to find and it's really difficult to dynamic to replicate. But if they could, I think it'd be really encouraging. Yeah, we talked a few weeks ago and like I suppose a little bit last week so about like Munster season and you know like where they ended up. Leinster, you know. They obviously win a trophy, and it's it kind of doesn't feel like the time to 
reflect in some ways in the same way as it does when a team loses a game harshly and you kind of want to see where they are and how they can get better. Just want to go through a few little things that I feel that where Leinster have progressed a bit this season. Now. Jordan Larmer seems like a different rugby player than he was 12 months ago and possibly it won't ever be the exciting player that he was but he's going to be a better player because of it. He's so much smarter. Like the There was a really interesting moment after the um, game where Johnny Sexton was asked about, do you know that moment just before half-time when... Uh, Lammer lined up Van, uh, Van yeah. Meyer and, this, and just totally bundled him into touch and Sex, the Sexton's reaction to that was quite obviously uh, like he was celebrated like a try and after the game when he was asked about it he referenced the same similar moment against Saracens when Saracens went wide Lammer bit in and got you know he made a bad read and it happens and yeah. Saracens got a try off it and the, like, th- that subtle improvement within maybe two whatever a week two weeks has been a team for Lemmer across the whole season like he's yeah. becoming a much better defender and much more intelligent rugby player he still is as explosive as he was um, like if you think about how raw he looked even if you go back to the November series against Argentina when he was in at fullback he just looked like he just looked kind of panicky he's yeah. looked a lot more assured recently at the, the and you know it's we're, there's been rumours that Rob Kearney is going to sign a new deal today but if not, like the Lammer fullback experiment, I don't think is dead. I think there's a lot of promise there, particularly when you look yeah, at the He's a very young guy. Exactly, yeah, yeah. He's 21. What I'd say as well is like he has gone from the person who everything he does is the highlight reel to now someone who does so much more unseen yeah. stuff that is that like that you need because you can't only be doing highlight reel stuff it's not good enough like in a, it, it's actually the nearly the least important thing you'll do as a player you know whereas like there was a moment for the for the ring rose try that Liam Tolan pointed out on commentary like he was adamant to point out in the replay that that all came from an unbelievable chase from Larmer that nobody's going to mention other than that you know like yeah. that, like um, McGrath wouldn't have been in the position only for that lost cause was chased and that he knew that he was he just burst the gut to get up for the kick like you know so um, things like that are good I have to say I thought Luke McGrath you know speaking of the person who blocked I feel like he's come on an awful lot this season I think maybe even a couple of months out probably didn't do him any harm either you know just to kind of recharge the batteries and be kind of fresh at the end of the year as well yeah I, that's a really interesting point right because Luke McGrath as like we spoke in the podcast last week about the brunt of criticism he was taking for the Saracens game and what went wrong there and the way he's bounced back since then has been really really striking and I think that's like in a lot of ways that's a measure of a player um, I also think that the the Saracens game, like not to dwell at this point, I think it's been totally overanalyzed. Sexton yeah. admitted it was a team call, like it wasn't McGrath going off and one to kick a box kick at the end. Like that was that was called. That was a, it was so obvious by the reaction of players that they were going to yeah, go. Did he have an to, awful game or did he just make a, a high profile mistake? Ex- it's kind yeah. of what we're talking about with Larmer. Yeah, as well. exactly. Like, there's like, a difference. You yeah, know? and was it even like was it a high profile individual mistake or was it a collective error that he has taken that run for? You know, I think there's a. There's a conversation to be had about that, definitely, for, um, for sure. It, it makes the race for that spot for the World Cup all the more interesting when you think about how uh, Kieran Marmion returned from that injury and stormed back into form. Um, John Cooney in the season he's had in Ulster and then a guy like Luke McGrath. Even if, you know, if it is going to come down to versatility, Cooney is ahead of the two lads and that mm-hmm. means that there's, a, you know, you're talking about a third spot between... Mammy and McGrath, two really informed players. It's uh, a, in a position, especially that we didn't necessarily realize we had such a luxury in yeah. terms of the reliance on Conor Murray. I think that's encouraging as well. And that's the goal to the World Cup. Like, I have no idea who's going to be wearing twenty-one. You yeah. know, like so, uh, and that's with the with the help of all being good and Conor Murray keeps the number nine. 
um, and nothing goes wrong there. Just a couple of other really quick things to go through. I think James Ryan's improved again. Like, you know, he, he's stepped up in the way you'd want him to. Jack Conan is, looks a different rugby player than he was 12 months ago, and that's like another good, you know, like a, a, an heir apparent to, to Jamie Heaslip there. And like Keen Healy's a different player, and like that front row looks like, you know, is, is a serious club rugby front row, like, you know. But even the guys who come off the bench, like, you know, it was like Byrne was kind of like done in the first scrum but kind of came back into it a little bit. You know, I, I feel like there is there's there is just a sense of a new generation coming through a little bit with Leinster, like... Yeah, um, and like... Well, and it is needed as well. That's the other thing. I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, say it's all good either. Like, you know, they are losing Sean O'Brien. They are. Johnny Sexton's going to be a year older. Rob Carney's 33 and looks like he is going to stay on for another year. Like, they do need that. They need that kind of... They, they need Robbie Henshaw to stay fit next season for a, a significant amount of time. You know, so it's not just Rosie, but it, they need that kind of new blood coming through as well. Yeah, and, like, the production line is... I mean, you look at the under-20 squad and half the team is from Leinster and you can obtain a picture. Like, the production line is still churning them out. Um, if we were to talk about it, like, in a in an Irish rugby context, which is probably it's the best time as possible, you look at a, about a season review, like, the... The body of work of somebody like Keen Healy, I think, is remarkable. Whatever about the new generation, like the way he has yeah. continued to to improve and back to being like genuinely world class is is really encouraging as well. Um, you look at like the as as a whole. I'm not talking about this game itself, but you, p- players like Scott Penny and Max Egan who've had yeah. really promising years. Uh, Kieran Frawley, the fact that you know Ross Byrne now has a bit more competition when he thought that at the very least his backup spot would be safe. Now he sees a young guy like Frawley who has had absolute storming, particularly that game mm. against Ebre uh, in the ODS and also against Scarlets. He was he was brilliant. Um, that kind of stuff was really encouraging. Daly on the wing, I think, has shown a huge amount of promise. That like the, the, it's all kind of building towards the fact that um, the Leinster production line is quite promising. Which then you look at it as a whole context and you know how good is that? Like, I think Ulster and Munster are finishing the season knowing where their level is. Connacht are definitely improving, but in a similar vein, like if David Nismore is is adamant that uh, we're not going to have a massive bottleneck within one province. You're going to see the distribution of more players beyond Jack McGrath, who's going to Ulster. Yeah. Um, Jordy Murphy obviously went up to Ulster already. The Joy Carberry situation yeah. has been well established. Uh, I think that will only increase as time goes on um, because the fact remains that you can't fit this amount of players into into one team. Know, it's just I not know. possible. But like the, the the guy like Deegan coming on at the weekend, like you know, he's someone that you're used to seeing in a mid-season Pro 14 game but you don't expect them to be there in the big games and you know the sign is that won't like you know they do start coming through you know like even Maloney coming on I mean uh, there was a kind of a nice little nod from the commentators as well about how many times they'd seen him through the season yeah uh, you know like in in all the in, in the in the quiet games when nobody's paying attention so it was nice for him to get on as well um I have to say as well, I uh, 34 years of, of age, but Scott Fardy is an unbelievable rugby player still, and he's such a great leader in the pack as well. Like, but um, a brilliant season for Leinster. It's a it's it's a pity for Irish rugby they couldn't beat the other brilliant team. I don't know if you saw, it, you would have been there, but Saracens um, made absolute shit of Gloucester in, in, the, in, yeah. in the Premiership semi final. Exeter, it's so funny the difference in, in England. Like Exeter were so much better than um, Northampton as well in what was actually a very very entertaining game like it was it was up and down all the time but Exeter just seemed to get the tries all the time you know it, it, it wasn't that much different like but Saracens the difference between them and everybody else is just unbelievable you know so you can't really I don't think it's that much of a black mark against Leinster that they didn't beat them 
Yeah, like in the same way that you contextualize the Munster semi-final loss against Saracens by looking at the final and what Saracens did against Leinster, you also contextualize the Leinster game by looking at what Saracens have done elsewhere. Like they're mm. so far ahead in the Premiership that they like the their ability to rest players is been unrivaled in the Premiership. Teams generally don't get away with doing that the way that Saracens have, but just in terms of their strength and depth, they have they've so much. They're a team that would beat a lot of international standard teams. You know, they're they're that good, um, and like. It's really hard to see anybody actually catching Saracens without them, you know, suffering a, a raft of injuries or, you know, maybe there's some ramifications for the salary cap investigation. It doesn't look like <laughs> it doesn't look likely, but failing. That's that, when you're starting to clutch at straws. Exactly, like that's yeah, a, that's when you're that. kind of like, you know, I want to knock Man City off their perch. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe it's fair, but it's not the way you want to beat a team either. You know, so. Uh, Look, we'll see what happens. It's been a good year for Leinster. I think everybody will agree. I think people, you know, we've talked about Munster. We've talked, Ulster and Connacht have come a long way in the year. Munster fans, I think, will probably be the most frustrated despite reaching two semifinals, which isn't bad on paper, and there definitely was some progress. And let's not forget the other Irish team who uh, started the year as the best team in the world and beat New Zealand and looked like we were going to win the World Cup with our second team and, you know hold the first team for the next World Cup or something uh, and then it all went horribly wrong in the Six Nations because these things happen and uh, suddenly we look like a stale and you know somewhat sort of um, rabbit in headlights kind of team that just couldn't, couldn't seem to react to things going wrong um, the thing that happened in the middle of that was that Joe Schmidt was announced that he was going after the World Cup the season is technically over. The World Cup is technically next season, but it's when everything kind of everything has been leading to that. What was your assessment? Say, give it a grade. Give it a, a old leave insert grade for uh, Irish rugby in twenty eighteen nineteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a B. Uh, I think it's not as bad. Like the monster situation isn't a, a crisis as it has been portrayed in some places. Um, the Irish rugby hasn't been as bad as we think. Like they, they got beaten by two really really strong teams um i think the, a dip was probably expected after the 2018 that they came off um leinster and munster are still powerhouses in europe the fact remains that there's just this slight tears between the absolute best and which is arsons and everybody else basically mm. um but you know in terms of a, as a whole i think that aspect of irish rugby is like this is this is an interesting conversation mick because um we didn't touch on this last week david for signed a new deal and kind of held it and press conference about that and at that press conference he spoke about all this kind of stuff and where our rugby is and contracting situations and stuff like that and i think like all that stuff is brilliant but just the one aside this is like a really quick aside that i think is worth bearing in mind like he's also spoke about what he's doing with the ail and trying to you know if anybody has a workable solution please come to us and like the only thing i would say about Irish rugby is that 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 aspect is still is to my mind is still a failure like you still there should still be some more of a drive in terms of increasing participation in terms of how they've the drop off in the women's game has been absolutely phenomenal like a total phenomenal um and you know you can talk about the idea that oh we're trying to grow the game but the if you don't have a top quality top tier then you know it's like a trickle down effect that's not going to follow down there yeah, as well top down is never the way to do these things yeah and like just as as a whole i think the the lack of kind of drive to grow the game despite the fact that there's a huge amount of success at, at the top is 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 a slight concern you know the, the AL clubs should be engaged with more like there should be a workable solution in terms of if there's not going to be an elite level club I don't think this idea of farming players who can't get into A sides out to AL teams is workable either I mean you're talking about teams who train once twice a week against professionals who train five days a week like is that really going to maintain the standard that they need yeah. it, are, are, are these tours to the US that we spoke about um, previously on the podcast are they really you know 
genuine solutions like yeah how much how much is how much stock is really placed in the fact that you're pulling players away to play two games against teams that aren't even in a professional league in america right now like the that that's a it's a really small aside to this massive bigger conversation but it's still an important one yeah i absolutely agree and i think that is a failure just on the rest of the year though the under 20s did win the grand slam they obviously had yeah. to, to to win the world cup that was pretty incredible and the sevens team the men's seven team, the, both of them have had success. Men's seven team qualify. They uh, get an invitation to the London um, this 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 week, beat England. Uh, I think finished sixth, which is an incredible thing at the at the London sevens, and they're kind of going from strength to strength. I think the women's game is definitely something that has seemingly stagnated. Anyway, we had all the controversies of last year that you know are hopefully sorted. You would think in the the sort of the but I don't know if the damage that was done from it has been rectified quite yet, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and like that's it's one of those horrendous situations where you know, like time is only going to tell. Um, and like just on this, like as a final thought, like on what you've just said here, like the the overall picture is is a good one. Like it's it, it's good. It's moving in the right direction. I think the work we've been really well set up for a World Cup. There's a huge amount of uh, squad competitors. Still a couple of issues, particularly around you know, like. The captain decides not even being the best hooker in in his own province is probably a, a concern, and a couple of other alliances that need to be ironed out. But like it's, it, it never will be perfect, you know. It never yeah. will be the top beach, but it's moving in a pretty positive direction as a whole, anyway. Okay, well, we're gonna go and and think about our World Cup squad a little bit <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. We're gonna watch a little bit of uh, a bit of Super Rugby. We're gonna get ready for the the Rugby Championship and see where those four teams are are um, ahead of the World Cup. And you know, just recharge the batteries a little bit. We'll take a couple of weeks off. We will be back though. We'll be back regularly enough throughout the summer as we kind of build up to the World Cup. It's gonna be. I I don't know if you know this, but I don't think there's really gonna be a rugby off season this year. There's there is the small matter of Japan, it's like the uh, NFL, yeah, waiting around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll 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 come back for the draft show. Oh no, sorry, that's that's the wrong sport. Uh, we will be back. So if you're just on the balls rugby feed, um, we'll be we'll be back with you in a, in two or three weeks. Um, with a show, we'll let you know on social media when that's coming if you are on the balls.ie feed we will be regularly here with gea shows we'll also be back with the rewind and looking back at a few shows i think we're going to be talking about chernobyl this week which uh is an amazing show it's nearly the best tv show i've ever seen there's only been three episodes <laughs> so is that too am i am i uh hot jump, taking jump here? The gun. <laughs> i think i'm hot taking it's a really good show though morris clearly hasn't watched it or else he'd be definitely agreeing with me anyway just subscribe to balls there'll be lots of stuff going on there and obviously check out the site lots of rugby stuff as i mentioned a good a good piece about sean o'brien replacing rocky elsom up there today and lots of other stuff from morris's work in glasgow um over the week don't forget one more last 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 plug is if you didn't hear last week's show do check out our um jamie hagan interview because um i wasn't here so i'm i'm freely allowed to say it it was absolutely brilliant and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks take care